you know, I would yell at a diabetic patient who, for instance, was not taking their insulin, but why would I not grant myself that same grace? Welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm Dr. Jen Barna, and I'm joined here today by Dr. Eileen Wong, also known as author I.W. Gregorio. Dr. Wong is a practicing urologist, successful author of young adult novels, This Is My Brain in Love and None of the Above, and also a mom. Welcome, Eileen. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here with you this morning. I want to get started just hearing a little bit about your background in general. Which happened first? Did you know that you wanted to be a doctor first or an author? Sure. I mean, okay, it's, looking way back. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if you'd asked me when I was eight years old, I definitely would have said, oh, I'm going to grow up to be a writer. Because just to give you a sense of how I grew up, I grew up in like central New York, like you know how in Orange is the New Black, there's a character named Pencil Tucky? I live in near Tucky. So like I live in an area that's a really conservative area in like the middle of New York State, like very far away from the major cities. And I was the only person of color really in my class. And so I always felt like very much like an outsider. And like I was raised by my grandparents. My grandfather was a doctor. And so I always knew about medicine. And I think it was always sort of, I always sort of assumed that I was going to be a doctor because well, my aunt and uncle were both doctors and my father is a PhD, but you know, he was the black sheep of the family. And at the same time, because I grew up in a pretty isolated area, like I was a voracious reader of books. Like I always like to say that books are my best friends growing up and really shaped who I was and what I value. And ever since that first short story that we wrote in second grade, that was mimeographed and put in a little collection. I always wanted to be a writer and around and so I was always involved in like writing clubs and reading, obviously reading a lot and writing thinly veiled pastiches of my favorite stories. But it was around high school where I kind of was like, all I'm writing is just a copy of what I've read. I need more life experience to write. And so that's when I sort of realized that I was getting math and science and medicine is a really great field to learn and to meet people and to hear stories. And so in college, I sort of double majored. I double majored in English and biochemistry, which is a relatively rare combination, but it worked for me because I was able to dig deep and take a lot of writing classes, but I was also able to fill the credits to become pre-med. And I really loved the idea at that point of synthesizing medicine. I took a medicine and literature course early on and read the works of Sherwin Newland and Richard Seltzer. And, you know, people don't know that Chekhov, for instance, was a physician. So was William Carlos Williams, the poet. And so there's a long history of physicians also being humanitarians and writers. And that's how I approached it. I approached it as being given the privilege of telling people's stories, not only based on my clinical experiences, but sort of also based as like from the doctor's unique perspective within humanity. And after undergrad, I study a little bit more creative writing. And then I went to medical school and I continued writing throughout, you know, I've written op-eds about either topics like AIDS in Africa, or I've done features on some of my more like amazing patients. Like I did one in San Francisco, in the San Francisco Chronicle, when I was a resident about quadruple amputee that I met during my cardiac surgery rotation, who's also a rock bassist. So I think that I've never really seen the two as different. In, in many ways. And then my very first young adult novel 
none of the above was directly inspired by the patient experience that I had that really changed me. And that was sort of that index patient that makes you rethink your relationship to medicine and to the world. And that also inspired me to sort of almost become an activist when it comes to supporting the lives of intersex children who are born neither male nor female, but something in between, and are often subjected to interventions and surgeries that are irreversible, but they never consented to. And so actually, as a matter of fact, today, I'm going to be potentially talking with some California state legislators about some legislation that's out there to try to give these kids a bit of their autonomy back. And then I continued in medicine because yes, as my grandfather said a long time ago, how are you going to feed yourself and clothe your children? So there's a bit of time there, five years in between my two books because I was full time and, you know, had kids. And this is my brain and love is actually not directly inspired by a patient, but is a book that I kind of wrote for my kids and for myself because growing up I had a lot of undiagnosed issues with anxiety and depression that I never had the language to talk about. And that was interestingly enough, when I became a physician, it became harder to treat that because when you're a doctor, especially when you're a surgery resident, the biggest compliment anyone could ever give you is that you're strong. For a long time, I felt that my struggles were signs of weakness and I wanted my kids to grow up realizing that there should not be stigma attached with having feelings and needing sometimes help to cope. And people can move through anxiety and depression and still live happy lives. I did really enjoy reading None of the Above. And I'd noticed that the novel happens in Utica, New York, which is actually not far from where I practice. And so I thought, you know, that was really interesting. So I'm curious, did you grow up in Utica? Yeah, I grew up in New Hartford, which is a suburb of Utica. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, you know, when I wrote about a high school milieu, I automatically defaulted to the one I grew up in. And I think it's a good place to go because there's still an element of conservatism in that area. I mean, I remember growing up that, you know, the word gay was used as a slur, you know, it's like, oh, it's so gay. And I always like to say that the very first gay person I ever met was in a book, was a character in a book. And so I think that setting it in an area there where there, where Kristen, my main character, may have had pushback from the community she lived in was important. You know, whereas if she was in New York or San Francisco or LA, she would have been able to more readily access people that she could feel comfortable coming out to. Right. In this story, she didn't know herself until it was sprung upon her suddenly as a 18 year old. So it's a very interesting story. And I'm also very interested in touching on another thing that you mentioned, which is the fact that in medicine and surgery, especially Really, the culture is very much a bravado culture where it's very difficult for people to acknowledge any kind of weakness in themselves, although, you know, all people have weaknesses. And so it's kind of ironic that doctors are seeing patients and completely accepting of patients you know, having medical problems, which Mm -hmm. could be mental health or could be other, you know, physical ailments. And yet for physicians to have one or even acknowledge that they have a problem is considered difficult. Although when you start talking with other physicians, which is part of the reason we have this podcast, you realize you're not the only one who you know might be dealing with an issue that a lot of people out there are feeling the same, but feeling isolated. I am curious about your experience with that and how you navigated that 
whether you reached out to others or whether you really kind of just kept that to yourself as a surgery resident or urology? Well, I definitely kept to myself for a long time, you know, through college, through medical school, and then in residency, which is obviously a really high stress area. I feel lucky that I had a lot of friends who were women surgical residents. Stanford was actually one of the early adopters and realizing that women had better outcomes <laughs> than, than men, like studies have shown that, and that creating a work-life balance that can support women who might have children during residency, et cetera, is important. And so I had at that time, a lot of female surgical or urology resident friends. And, and at some point I realized that more than half of us were right antidepressants. And there's a reason for that. I think there are unique stressors, obviously, both for physicians, burnout is really high, residencies full of sleepless nights, full of a lot of feeling like you're you're always a step behind because there's always more to know. And everyone has a personal life on top of that. And managing that when you're working as hard as you do, we need coping mechanisms. And there's a reason that urologists specifically, specifically female urologists have literally the highest burnout rates in the country when you look at the Medscape physician health surveys. And I was on and off antidepressants for a really long time. And it wasn't until residency when I had a therapist who was just like, it's okay, Aline, your brain needs serotonin. And that was the first time it really gave me the permission to stay on them because I had other friends who were like, oh yeah, I'm going to go off of the antidepressants. I don't need them anymore. And, you know, I would yell at a diabetic patient who, for instance, was not taking their insulin, but why would I not grant myself that same grace. And so it took a really long time. It took like a decade or two to come to that realization. So that is an excellent point. And I'm curious what appeals to you about writing to the audience that you write to, the young adult audience. Strangely enough, I don't think I ever wanted to write for anyone other than children or young adults because I feel like those are the formative years of people's lives. At least they were to me. And those are the time when I read the most voraciously. I read a book, sometimes two books a day, you know, because you had that time and you had that space and you had that sense of curiosity for the world. Adults are boring. Most of what I actually read right now are either emails or news articles. Like I've become a total political news junkie, unfortunately, as many people have in the past five years. And taking the time to read an entire novel, I listen to a few audiobooks, but it can be hard. It's hard to, you, you read in dribs and drabs. You don't have the time to like sit in a weekend necessarily and read for four straight hours the way that you used to and like really live in books. You know, I remember there are books that I read when I was a kid that I would read four or five, six times that would be literally falling apart. And I think I especially felt a need to write those books because so many of the books that I read growing up were written by white people. There were so few authors of color in those days, and I didn't see myself in books for a really long time. And I feel lucky to be writing now at a time where the need for diversity in children's books and the need for our bookshelves to mirror who we are as a country has become paramount. When I first started writing, I was lucky enough to be involved in sort of a, what started off as a hashtag, but then became community of authors and then a nonprofit called We Need Diverse Books, which is still going strong six years later, and I think has really changed the landscape of children's literature. Yeah, that's so important. And how do you incorporate time to write into your schedule as both a surgeon and a mom? 
That's really hard. So none of the above I wrote when my daughter was really young. She was like a baby. And so I would write after we put her to sleep and write until midnight, like from nine to midnight. Then my son was born and he didn't want to go to bed. So my writing period shrunk a little bit. (laughs) And it's interesting. I actually wrote, this is my writing love on proposal. So I only had to write the first 30 pages and then a proposal. And then once I had the deadline, I was like, okay, I need to write. For me, I tend to write better under the line because otherwise I procrastinate and say, do I really need to do this today? I don't. And it's hard to take the time away from your family. There was definitely a point, oh gosh, like two or three years ago when I was really on deadline and where I had to just take a weekend off. And so my husband took my kids to Ikea and my daughter in the car said, I wish mommy were here. And daddy said, well, she's going to finish her book, but then she'll be done. And my daughter says, yeah, and then I hope she never writes another book. So <laughs> we definitely got push and pull. Um, yeah, kids and, are so insightful. Yeah. How old was she at that time? At that point, she was eight, probably. Yeah, she was Okay. Eight. And now she's 11 and doesn't care where I am anywhere. But <laughs> Is she a voracious reader as well? She was less so. Now she's a voracious TikToker. <laughs> My sign of the times. My son is a really voracious reader. And uh, okay. So how old do you expect them to be when they read your novels? For Olivia, soon. This is my brand love is ready for 12 up and none of the above is 14 up. Okay. Yeah. And very interesting. I'm looking forward to reading. This is your brain in love. I haven't gotten to read that yet, but after reading none of the above, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And my kids are in their early adulthood. So I'm looking forward to hearing their perspective on it as well. So I'm curious too, how does your writing influence your practice of medicine? I think that my writing has given me the permission to slow down a bit. I think that in my early years, like I was really focused on productivity. You know, I felt this need to like do as much as I could. And I think that in the past few years, I've given myself the permission to just be like, you know, ask more about literally just ask patients, how are you doing? Especially because this is my brand love is more about mental health. And during a pandemic, that's really important to assess how people's lives are outside of this tiny sliver of time that, that you see in your clinic. Because if a person's family life or social life is, is in a position where they can't care for themselves, that's going to really affect how you treat them. Definitely. And I think it can be easy to overlook that given all of the pressures that we face as physicians to keep a certain volume. So I think that's critical. And it's really interesting that you have that insight through being an author. What was the process of actually getting published as an author? Well, for children's literature, there's a really wonderful organization called Society of Children's Books Writers and Illustrators that had conferences that you kind of go to to learn the tips and tricks of the trade. And they offer just general advice on how to the first step is getting an agent, you know, and then the agent from then on, usually the agent handles everything. And they actually had meet and greets with different agents where they could critique parts of your stuff. And that's actually how I got my agent because I went to a conference and they read a part of it. And then they're like, okay, let me see the rest. And then I got really lucky from that standpoint, but it took a few years to get to that point. And in general, there's another really good book called Writer's Marketplace that can also give you tips on 
you know, just the process, because the process is different for whether you're writing children's books or adult books or nonfiction. A lot of nonfiction can be written on proposal, but usually for adult, like debut novels, um, they want something that's full. And then you just submit it to agents and try to find the right fit. And then your agent takes it away and send it to editors. And eventually you have a book in your hands. And it's surreal because people are reading your writing that you've never met and will never meet in many cases. And it's kind of weird because especially in a pandemic, it seems like it's just out there in a void, <laughs> but then social media will tag you or you'll get an email and, you know, we're like, oh, people are actually reading it. That's exciting. Yeah, that is very exciting. And what's on the horizon? What's next for you? I tend to take a little fallow period after books come out, especially with the pandemic. It's been particularly challenging. And I have a new project that's completely different. I'm describing it as a young adult historical fiction fantasy medical thriller. <laughs> if that's not enough wow. genres, then I don't know what else. That's exciting. I've only got a few pages and like an outline. And I've been in a bunch of anthologies and there's one coming up called Allies, which is about how kids and teens can learn to support their friends and family who are either LGBT or, you know, Black or, you know, who need allyship or co-conspirators. And then there's another one called Bridges and Islands, which is a book specifically about kids and teens who are either mixed race or have to cross cultures and about the unique identity of people of mixed race. And tell me, these two books are books that, that you've written or that these you- are, These that are anthologies. So I've written- Oh, anthologies. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. There's a, it's a big trend in writing anthologies. I'm not sure why. Well, that's, yeah, it's definitely important. It's really, critical in this, in this time. I did write a really fun, here, let me, let me get the book. I wrote a piece for a really neat book called Body Talk. Uh-huh. It, it was written by a librarian to talk about radical anatomy. In other words, to come to a realization that bodies are not normal or abnormal. They're, some mm-hmm. of them are just different. And so it talks about menstruation, PCOS, deafness. And I actually wrote a, a part about gonads and like reproductive health especially for boys and so it was kind of fun it's just something that's not really talked about a lot do you have a subspecialized practice to see pediatric patients who are dealing with these issues definitely an adult urologist and so when i see adult intersex patients often they're complex enough that i have to send them to a reconstructive specialist but i've seen a handful of them and I'm more likely to see the complications of a pediatric urology hmm. procedure than to, to do one, for sure. Oh, interesting. Well, the last question that I always like to ask, and this can pertain to medicine or being a mom or being an author or maybe a combination of three, is if you knew then what you know now, what would you do differently if you're advising someone who's maybe pre-med or you know, early in their career? What would I do differently? I think I would just give myself more grace and emphasize the need to establish community of people that have your shared experiences that you can, you can talk with and that don't be afraid to talk to them. And I mean, it's not exactly a union, but it's it's a support group. And to realize that I think that after medical school, people are in a very academic sort of almost competitive mindset. And realizing that the horrible marathon bike race where you really, it's really best if you're in a pack and then you can all 
mixed metaphors all rise on the tide together. You know, I think that it's a really important thing to realize. Wonderful. I'm hoping that's going to be the case here for doc working, that physicians can come to support each other. It's really valuable to hear about your experience and also inspiring for people, I'm sure, who are interested in becoming authors and who, who are writers and also physicians. So thank you so very much for taking the time to talk with thank me today. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be watching for your next novel right. and I hope we can stay in touch. Yes, please do. All right. Thank you. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Amanda Taran. I'm the producer of the Doc Working Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love it if you checked out our website, which is docworking.com. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. On Instagram, we are docworking1, and that is with the number 1. When you check us out on social, please let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. Your feedback really means a lot to us. And if you're a physician with a story you'd like to tell, please reach out to me at amanda at docworking.com to apply to be on the podcast. Thank you again, and we look forward to talking with you on the next episode of Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast.